Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to another ISACA podcast. My name is Chris McGowan. I'm the Principal Information Security Professional Practice here at ISACA. Joining me today is Lauren Stroop from Adobe. Hey, Lauren, how are you? I'm doing very well, Chris. Thanks for having me today. Before we jump into the main topic of what we're going to be talking about, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, the position you hold at Adobe and what you do? Sure. So I'm an application security manager at Adobe, and I lead a team of engineers and researchers focused on scaling threat modeling and providing in-house security consulting for our customer-facing products. Previous to this, I was a security engineering manager at a startup called Frame.io, where I led a team that provided consulting, we created homegrown tooling, and ran vulnerability management aimed at reducing real and exploitable risk. And then previous to that, I held some other positions as a BSO and as a developer. Oh, wow. So what, uh, what really got you to be a part of this industry, the security side of the house, I mean? You know, just by chance, to be honest. I was in a computer science major in college, and one of my upper levels happened to be a computer network security course. And I, I needed the credits, right? And I ended up really liking it. I did all of the extracurricular homework, and I was like, huh, maybe I can make a career out of this. I happened to get my first job in cybersecurity, and I've been there ever since. That's nice. I, I, it's, it's funny you say that. Mine was kind of the same way. I joined the military in the Navy and um, I was doing some odd stuff and I kind of volunteered for a job and it got me into cybersecurity years and years ago and it's just stuck ever since. So I think it's funny, but I think once somebody gets that in, you know, and rides that wave, it, they're, they're pretty successful. It's getting the end that's important, I guess. Yeah, you get the itch and it never goes away, right? All right, so... You mentioned it, uh, threat modeling. So let's talk a little bit about threat modeling. For our listeners, what, what is threat modeling? Threat modeling is a way of teasing out what could go wrong with a system from a security perspective and also how to prevent or fix those things. So it can help teams find and action security problems from anywhere from the beginning to the end of the development process. It answers questions like, who are the bad guys that might want to attack my system and what do they want to do? What are the weak points in my system that the bad guys could exploit? And then how to stop or reduce the damage that they cause. Hmm. So is it similar to threat hunting or is that different, would you say? It's a bit different. Threat modeling, I consider a shift left activity, meaning towards the beginning of the software development lifecycle, threat modeling can be performed on the design and architecture of a system even before any code is written. I would consider threat hunting more of a shift right activity where someone is looking for real threats on production systems. So very much related, but perhaps in different phases. So basically threat modeling is from the ground up. If, if done. Sure, yeah. I guess that's another way of saying it, right? It's not, and I guess threat hunting is after the fact. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. So um, is threat modeling for everyone? I mean, who's it, who's it mainly geared for? Like a bigger business, smaller business, any specific industry? Oh, I mean, I think with everything else in security, we say threat modeling is for everyone, right? Everyone should do threat modeling. And the reason why we say that is because Threat modeling will pull in different perspectives. Even small companies and big companies face risk. 
And it's not just developers that should be doing threat modeling, but product managers, compliance experts, and anyone else that's involved in the designing and building of a system. And that's so that we pull in as many different perspectives as possible to identify as much risk. So for example, a developer might think about the availability of a system, while a product manager might think, well, what happens if the paywall is bypassed? And a compliance expert might think about data confidentiality. These are all still very relevant risks that we want to tease out. So the the more people you have from different parts of the business, the better to give it more of a bigger scope. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. Yes. So what are some of the big benefits Adobe has seen since introducing Threadmodel? So I think for Adobe, we're driving towards improving security awareness and culture across our developers, our architects, our managers to foster a culture where everyone in the org is aware of potential threats and most importantly, their responsibilities to mitigate them. We want to facilitate things like communication and collaboration across stakeholders of the product, but also from the security team. And threat modeling can give us a way of consistently communicating risk and priority. And then finally, I think many orgs would resonate with this. We want faster and more efficient development and deployment. Um, so we don't believe that security should slow down development. Rather, we should enable modern software development. And this is where threat modeling as everyone's responsibility comes in, uh, where you don't have to rely on the security team to tease out all of the security risks. We want to scale through teaching others. Hmm. So the days of shutting down to apply some kind of security update is going away, right? It's It's more towards find a way to get everybody involved, but not bring down the production of whatever it is that the company does. Right. And and ideally, if we had performed threat modeling early and effectively, we would at least be able to see and tease out most of the issues, uh, potentially mitigating that risk down a bit um, where we would have to shut off, you know, the old days where we would shut things off uh, because they'd had a, cr- a critical vulnerability or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd be able to prioritize whatever threat there is, right? And then kind of address it accordingly. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we do as part of threat modeling is when you define a threat, we're looking at who would be interested in exploiting what in the system to cause what effects. And when you craft that story, it allows you to build risk in a consistent way and then prioritize the things that we care about. And so then the business is able to say, okay, X, Y, and Z up from the top, I will mitigate because I care about those things and maybe everything below the line we move forward with. It's a risk conversation from then on out. Yeah. So it would, would it be fair to say like you've got company A, company B, one threat modeling might work for one that might not work for the other? per se. I mean, there's no, I mean, the, what's the right way to say it? The the threat modeling concept is there, but it doesn't mean it's like cookie cutter for every company, right? Or am I wrong on that? Oh, sure. Or do I make sense? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. So there's different methodologies and frameworks for threat modeling. I think Stride is one of the most popular ones. Stride is a mnemonic for spoofing, tampering, repudiation, information disclosure, denial of service, and elevation of privilege. But there's other frameworks as well, like Dread and Pasta, that might work better for other companies. I think if an organization is looking to start up a threat modeling program, 
then looking at the different models and frameworks and the different tools would be very helpful and, and just seeing what works for them and their culture. So the process doing threat modeling isn't just a quick thing. It's It takes a lot of planning and people sitting down and um, actually having conversation, right? It can. Um, and that's one of the challenges of threat modeling is that it is a person, human, manual intensive activity. But when working with teams, I have noticed that once we've done threat modeling a few times, it tends to get easier as, as most things do after practice. So as long as we've picked you know, a, a reasonable framework for our security culture, one that people can follow and we practice with teams, over time, threat modeling can become quicker and easier. Yeah. So I have to ask with threat modeling, does AI have any effect, whether it be adverse or positive when it comes to threat modeling, or does it not really fall under the process of doing threat modeling? Not so much finding AI as a possible threat or risk, more like, is it feasible to use it in developing a threat monitoring program or a threat modeling program? I think absolutely. Is that is that not really? So I, I think automation is one of the best ways to scale a security program, including threat modeling. And automation backed by AI, I would hypothesize, um, could solve a lot of the scale problem. Could you, we task a multimodal model to automatically identify threats? Could we task an AI to find threats for us so that developers who don't have a security background don't need to on like up level to security or have to learn all of the things that security engineers learn over the course of their careers? I absolutely think AI could be a viable solution. Yeah, I didn't mean to throw one out of left field. It's more like, you know, everyone talks about AI right now. So I figured I'd get your thought on it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about effectively scaling threat modeling. Um, and do you, are there any more challenges that you can think of? I know you mentioned a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with training the organization, especially those that don't have a security background, on how to threat, not only the process, but also how to identify threats. We're often talking to builders that are trying to define how do I get this feature to work as expected as a that a user might find delightful. And what we're asking teams to do is pretty much invert that. How do you, as a, as a bad actor and an adversary, how would you break the system? How could someone take advantage of it? How could they abuse it? Um, so that's almost like a flip in the way that a lot of people are, are trained to think. And so that's a huge challenge. But there's other things, that, of course, ensuring that we are mitigating risk across the company. Adobe's quite a large company. so. Uh, when we scale through other teams and other teams are performing threat modeling, it's how do we make sure that the risks that they're finding are surfaced to the appropriate level so that if we do need a security person to get involved, we are making that visible and we're surfacing that. And so that's also done through sometimes through process, but also sometimes through automation if there is like a centralized tool. So it's trying to get people who might not have a security mindset to think security to be able to make the program work. Better. Yeah, if I think back to when I started out in the industry, it's, oh, we would we used to say like the hacker hat or something. You put your hack, you have your hacker mentality. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally trying to teach that. Um, it can be a challenge, but we not only want to train our developers and, and other folks across the organization, but we also want to give them tooling and, and other support as well. So it's a, a program that 
I think is best facilitated both through that manual work, but also through automation too. Gotcha. So how can security champions help? So security champions are wonderful because they bridge the gap between the security team and developers. And so security champions can help by promoting adoption and integration of threat modeling into that team's unique culture and processes. They can help by facilitating threat modeling sessions. For instance, if you train the security champions on threat modeling, then they could help train their development teams that they live with. Security champions can also do other things like help communicate security team capabilities and monitoring and reviewing some of the threat models that are created by the development team and surfacing some of those really critical risks back to the security team that we might want to take a second look at. Adobe is changing the world through digital experiences. Great experiences have the power to inspire, transform, and move the world forward. And every great experience starts with creativity. Creativity is in our DNA, and the future belongs to those who create. Our game-changing innovations are redefining the possibilities of digital experiences. We connect content and data and introduce new technologies that democratize creativity, shape the next generation of storytelling, and inspire entirely new categories of business. Making these great experiences requires trust. At Adobe, we're committed to protecting the security, privacy, and availability of our products, systems, and data, so you can deliver trusted experiences every day. You can learn more about our efforts on the Adobe Trust Center. So would it be fair to say just security champions are basically just another arm of security out there to help? I think of them as key partners to the threat modeling program. They're one key way to scale threat modeling and a really great partner because they live and breathe with the product teams. And so they can definitely bring the security perspective in a way that we can't. Right, because you might not know the product, right, or the processes and everything else. Sure, yeah. yeah it's understandable. So with the secure development lifecycle, how does threat modeling fit into that? So whenever I talk about integrating security activities into the development lifecycle, I always talk about it in terms of what the team is likely already doing. So it's likely that the dev team is defining scope and objectives of a system or a new feature you know, identifying those main components, functions, data flow. And that happens to also be the first step in threat modeling. We want to understand the system. What is it supposed to do and what are the main components of it? Usually teams tend to create architecture diagrams or, or design docs, something that describes the asset and data in a system, which is a key input for threat modeling. And if the team is already performing a design review with their architects, this is the perfect time to also identify threat or risks that the system might face, and then prioritize those by likelihood of impact. These can be things we're looking at a data flow or an architecture diagram. Could be things like, you know, how could an adversary gain unauthorized access? How could data be compromised? How could someone elevate their privilege? Going through those questions during a review that a team might already be doing is a great way to integrate threat modeling into the existing processes. Even though it's a shift left activity, later in the death cycle, I would say threat modeling is somewhat analogous to maybe triaging and, and fixing software bugs. So if there is a vulnerability, why not analyze that vulnerability in the same way we would as a software bug and say, well, how 
could this happen? What impact might it have? How do we fix it? And then let's prioritize that fix. So I always like to think about it as things that probably people are already doing. So let's just integrate it into those phases. Right. Makes perfect sense to me. So before we close out for this session, is there anything else that you really think that our audience should know about threat modeling? I would say I think threat modeling, threat modeling is a journey, I would say, and probably most security people would say for their capabilities. You know, it's not a one and done activity. You don't do it once and then forget about it and put it on a shelf. Um, it is an ongoing activity. Whenever there's updates to a system, we want to update the threat model. Uh, whenever we find a new vulnerability that maybe we didn't identify earlier as a threat, we want to update the threat model. And to just get started, just try it and you'll get better over time. And it will provide value once you just take the first step. It can seem daunting, and especially as sometimes it is a manual effort, but it will provide a lot of value and that we'll find issues before they become, you know, incidents or damaging problems later. Yeah, a little headache up front will save a bigger one down the road, right? Possibly. Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. So obviously you said, you know, basically complacency is something to worry about. Always update, always continue to evolve because our job and what we do in the security field changes on a daily basis. It's the same thing with threat modeling, right? You got to keep doing it, especially the minute there's some kind of change or configuration change or something like that. So that's great to know. Well, um, Lauren, I want to thank you very much for your time today. I also want to thank Adobe for allowing you to come speak with us. I've done quite a few interviews and podcasts with Adobe, um, and I've loved every one of them. So I want to thank you for that. Last few things for our audience is continue to learn, continue to ask questions, because that's the best way uh, we can get through this and get stronger at what we do. Okay, if you're looking for any more information on threat modeling, there's plenty of resources Adobe has for you. There'll be a link supplied in uh, the description below this. So I would reach out. So Lauren, if you don't have anything else, until next time. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Bye, everyone. <laughs>